Welcome to the floor. We are still in the world of The Witcher. We're going to be diving in. This is going to be the Great Ball before the Conclave. Going to be a lot of politicking here and uh, some weird stuff. So there may be a fair amount of speculation because they don't give us a lot of hard information in this episode. But we're going to dive into what lore we can and uh, give you our best uh, projections. Is it episode four or five? Five. <laughs> All right. I'm glad I've got us on track. <laughs> you guys keep your mouth for Do you remember the first story that was so spellbinding that it drove you to break the rules and stay up all night? To keep reading, keep listening, keep playing, so good you forgot your life and lived there? So good that the moment it ended you asked yourself, what next? Welcome to the floor. Our goal is to take you back, take you deeper, to explore and understand more, and relive that childlike wonder. Join us as we dive deep into humanity's greatest stories, no matter how they are told, through books, movies, television, even games. One of us does an in-depth research on our topic. One of us is familiar with the topic. And one of us knows nothing. So the right questions will always be asked and will be addressed for anyone coming into the topic, regardless of how much you know. Enjoy another world another adventure, another spellbinding story. Join us on the floor. Can I ask a question before we... Yes. Siri and the magic lady who movers all the mages have this moment where they lock eyes, and it's very intense for both of them. Mag magic lady, like, cries some blood? Magic lady with, like, Taseya? I think it's Taseya. Yeah, the one who, who uh, taught Yennefer. Uh, that, oh, do she diving into Siri's mind at the moment? They, they were both just looking at each other. It's very intense between both of them. And well, it, she cries some blood. Is she like, what What was leading up to the stare of the century, I guess is the question. It was the first time they met. So I think she was probably probing Siri. We've seen mages bleed before when they tap their magic really hard. Okay. And I imagine that was, you know, when you probe an 11-year-old child's mind... That's pushing your magic to its max. So I imagine that it, that's something about encountering the elder blood in Siri. That, that happens. Oh, okay. So, but if we go back to like the Battle of Sodden, those mages are bleeding everywhere as they're casting intense magic. Right. I think that's just just them saying she's very powerful, and we need to try and study her. It's very demanding. Okay. All right. So the opening scene. So this is one of those episodes where they're kind of going to be jumping around the time. Very confusing until the last five minutes when it's less. There are kind of... So it's like season one. So... Yes. <laughs> yes, it's kind of like season one. So there are two main events that happen. Um, one is the ball itself, and the other is um, the, the evening with Geralt and Yennefer after the ball. And I guess then there's the third event where they realize it was not who they thought it was. And then they go to fix it. So those are the three events. Now, what will happen is we'll be at the ball and we'll go through it once. And then we'll jump back and go through the second time, getting more information in each piece along the way. Different perspectives. Not even that. Just more information with each one. Like, my friend and I both agreed that this was a very 
slow episode because they did it that way. It's like, just give us all the information the first time through so we're not repeating. That sounds like something Joe would say. I thought it was cool. Felt kind of like those uh, like Ocean's Eleven movies. Okay. It's like all this happened. Oh no! And then like you go back through. Yeah, but this happened with this, making it actually happen this way. Gotcha. It shows like, well, I could have watched all of that in half. The big thing is that starting with the episode, Jennifer and wait, Carol- oh, back up real quick. So you just said that it frustrated you that we went through little pieces and then went back and went through all of it. Why don't we just go all of, through all of it? Okay, so we're not going to do the little pieces. So they start out with the goal of catching Stregobor. They think that, so Triss has some evidence that he's been the one taking the girls. And uh, Estred has some evidence that he is researching the monoliths. And we know that Cyril is connected to the monoliths. So they, in the previous episodes, they bring this to Geralt and Yennefer. And so Geralt and Yennefer reach the conclusion, Stregobor is behind the girls. Taryn, who's the Cirilla lookalike, who's had her memories altered, the weird creature there, convinced he's behind all of that. So what they want tonight is evidence to bring before the Brotherhood so that they can shut him down. And so our first movement through the ball is us gathering evidence that it is Stregobor. And then the second movement through the ball is realizing it wasn't Stregobor, and we're building evidence to Vilbefort, who they'll realize in the second round. Oh, okay. So that's why we move through it twice. forts is what we call them. That's kind of moving through the, the two pieces of overlap and why it does that. One is about straight war evidence. The other is about Vilbefort evidence. Now, it isn't until the end of the second part that Yennefer and Geralt will realize it was Vilgefortz, but in the second half, that's what that's all about. We're seeing the evidence of Vilgefortz piece by piece there. In the beginning, Yennefer kind of names all the mages and you know points them out to Geralt when they show up. And there's a series of spells being put on you know this place. Now, Geralt mentions something that he's said many times. When he walks in, it says lilac and gooseberry. He smells that in the interest there. Now, the reason that's important is because those are components of the love spell that Yennefer casts all the time, which means somebody is doing something like that here, yes. right? If you remember her orgy that she put on the whole town, that's what he smells. Oh, okay. Yeah, because those are components of that spell. So he knows right off the way they're doing all kinds of enchant. Now, another interesting thing happens here as uh, the ball's playing out. Pyramids mentions to Yennefer Kittermet, she's the redhead. She's she's actually a little bit heavier for a mage. Usually they're very thin and wafy, but she Oh, she's the chatty one. So she's got all of the deets. She awesome. makes a comment to Yennefer that uh kind of makes you question uh her connection to sorcery and magic and everything. She says, I'm planning on getting pregnant tonight. Which we know, either from book lore, mages can't get pregnant because magic does something then, or even Netflix lore, they've had their uteruses removed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also learned. Well, we we also learned later on. I think it's in this episode actually. Who was responsible for that? It's either this episode or the next episode as to why they have their uteruses removed. Was it somebody's idea? Well, Joe, you've told us yeah. before. So this is to say as you, that it's, they shouldn't be having children. 
they need to be thinking about and focused on. Well, because men didn't treat them as equals. So the way to do that was, okay, we won't get emotional and distracted, so we'll just cut this out. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, so that is either a contradiction or possibly saying Chirmetz is not trained at Eretuza. She might be a druid. Like Vilgefortz, like Vilgefortz isn't trained there. He joins later, but he's already mastered his magic. Right. Right. Luca. Okay, so we have been mentioning at the end of our episodes recently about the treasure room, how, as Aaron likes to describe it, in the floor we go deep into things, but in the treasure room we kind of go wide and we wanted to give people who have never been in the treasure room uh, a little bit of a sample so going forward we'll probably be uh putting in little bits and pieces here so here is a small clip uh from the treasure room we hope you enjoy it and are interested in uh, learning more in there Rodani wants Cyrilla. So I guess, like, we can easily divide this into two groups. Like, you have the Brotherhood. Now, we do know Vilgefortz wants wants Cyrilla, but Strigovor doesn't care about Cyrilla. You know, she's like, she's a student here? No, that doesn't matter. She's just another half-elf. Yeah, just keep her away from here. It's a pure place. Slytherins only. Very much just no mudbloods. Strigovor's just Snape. A really great guy, just also super racist. <laughs> now, I think one thing interesting to point out, and this will be our treasure room question, but I'm going to kind of bring it up here because we see all these people in attendance, right? Rodania has sent Dykstra and Philippo Eilhart. You know, we know that uh, the key was from the other kingdoms or their representatives are here we have Tamaria, we have Bri- R- Rivia, we've got Vigo- Vilgefortz, we've got Strigobor now Yennefer is saying we're all here to get united so we can fight Nilfgaard we know none of them are behind that right? That 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 is not why any of them show not up. one single person maybe like one of the people serving wine <laughs> uh, so we don't people are going to get together and like work together everyone else is so the question is what do each of these people want why are they attending, and what do they hope to gain? Why show up to the ball if you're not actually there to unify? Yeah, because we know none of them are, right? Right. No, nobody's planning on it. Yeah, not at Mage and Spy Master Club. But yeah, so the question, that'll be our treasure room question we'll go into there is, why, are, why do each of them show up? What do they get out of this? Okay. So, covered the lilac, lilac and gooseberries. Um, it was adorable because he says it. Yennefer's like, well, you got to just, you know, be good. Act pretty tonight or, or something to that effect. And he just rolls his eyes. Yeah, at the end of the last episode, he's like, I didn't know I had to get dressed up for this. She's like, oh, you can't be uncomfortable for even just a minute. <laughs> During the episode, Geralt starts a fight with his Stred. It's a distraction so that they can search Dragobor's Really, it's a fun distraction. And uh, find the evidence. So they go there and they find some truth. They find the list of the missing girls. They find the book of the monolith. And then they start to attack him with all their accusations. 
And here's where I guess things get interesting. You said Stringabore, as far as like, yeah, I took the girls. They're half-elves. They're terrible people. They're monsters, just like you. Yeah. Like, as long as he's being accused of being prejudiced and racist and aiding else, he does not deny it. Right? Oh, okay. But as soon as he's being accused of weird experiments and monoliths, he's like, I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, so he's like, yeah, I'm racist. But <laughs> I have boundaries. <laughs> um, so they take him away. And like I said, now, then Yennefer and Geralt are going to realize it was Philip Forbes. And then we, we move through the party a second time, seeing different pieces of evidence supporting that theory. And then after the party, they will reach that conclusion. And then they go to confront him, where then uh, Geralt is stopped by Dijkstra in the episode ends. But I do want to dig into Strigobor here. So he is very anti-elf. Oh, he doesn't think anyone of half-elven blood should attend Banard or Eratusa, and he wants to get rid of them. And he was kidnapping those girls just to not kill them or anything, just throw them out of the school, right? Just get them out of here. So I want to dive into why that is. And so first of all, we need to look at the fact that Stringabor, like, mages don't age. He fought elves in elven wars in his lifetime. You know, he was involved in many of the wars. And he put down many of the uprisings that then came after the wars of the elves. He has seen the elves start multiple wars and cause a lot of death. So there is a story of a Japanese soldier from World War II named Hiro Onoda. And this is a man who continued to fight World War II 20 years after the war ended. He was on a little island and the war ended and... The people who lived there couldn't convince him for 20 years that this war had ended. They would put newspapers, they would play radio broadcasts outside his cave where he was living. Like, it was dangerous to go there. He was, he was at war, you know. <laughs> but they, were, they would leave him all this stuff, and he just thought all of it was just propaganda to trick him yep. into coming out. So what, uh, the, what changed his mind? So, um, I don't know what... So, I know this story. So, um, in uh, the Japanese, when you are ordered to go do something... Only the person who ordered you to do it can relieve you of it. They had to go and find his, command. his commanding officer to come and tell him to relieve himself of his position. Well, I believe that guy's alive. <laughs> yeah, but you think, well, they found a dope actor. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, the war ends in 1945. It is 1965 when this guy finally stands down, right? In just a few years, we're about to land on the move. World when War II is the first war we have radio in. <laughs> now, when, uh, when was the Vietnam War? So, uh, Vietnam would have been late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. So, he, okay, so he almost made it to that one. He almost made it to Vietnam. Might <laughs> in a different war at the wrong time. So, but yeah, so well, the point is that there are people who just keep fighting the war even though it's over. Like, if we look at Edgar Hoover, when he was a young man just starting out working for the government, they were dealing with a lot of Bolshevik revolutionaries in the United States, and a bond kills his boss, set off by the Bolsheviks. And, like, the reason he was so intent on spying on the American people and everything is that the Bolsheviks had been, you know, in they, they, though that philosophy had influenced Americans who had done this bombing. And he was terrified his entire life that that was still going to happen. He was still fighting that war his entire career. And so there are people who just keep fighting these wars. You know, now we call this PTSD. Right. 
he didn't leave the war. But definitely, that's what we see here with Strigobor. He fought in the wars against the elves, and he's still fighting that war. And they are still. His so, yeah. You see what his name really is, is Strigobor. So, but I mean, the way he treats half-elves is very much how uh, Japanese Americans were treated during World War II. That's how he sees them. All of them are potential spies. They need to be rounded up and locked up until we know we're safe forever. And we'll only be safe when they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I did want to dive into Strike of War's mind on this, right? Because this is something we see in a lot of people who go to war. They get stuck there. And that is definitely what has happened to him. He's stuck in his war with the elves. Because he has, he, he does know how to communicate professionally, politely, all this other stuff. But then you get him some elven blood around him and then all of a sudden he's kind of a vile person. Yeah. yeah, so he probably admits to his prejudices and all of that. Uh, but then he denies that. And then, like I said, we go back through and then after we've gone through the second time, then Yennefer and Geralt start putting together the pieces and they realize it's not Stregobor. It's Milgoforts who was behind all this. They go to stop him. Do they find also evidence of uh, in the uh, brainwashing magic of the fake Siri? No. Okay. So we're going to be transitioning into the treasure room now. Yep. What was our treasure room question? So, like I said, we have all of these people show up. Rodania sends representatives to Maria, Rivia, Vilgaforts. I mean, I mean, not Rivia, but Vilgaforts is there. Strigobor is there. You know, we Kira Metz and you know Sabrina. All these people show up, and now Yennefer has said this is to unify us. We got to bring the Brotherhood together. We got to bring the North together so we can all fight Nilfgaard together. That's what Yennefer says. That's what she wants, and we know all of them have their own agendas. So the question is, why does anyone show up? What do each of them want? All right, we will discuss that in the treasure room. We hope you were floored now. Go floor your friends.